This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Father, we do thank You, Lord, um, for loving us, for first loving us. We love because You first loved us. We love You because You first loved us. Lord, um, we're thankful for that. And we, we, we want to be faithful in expressing that, expressing our gratitude to You. And, Lord, we want to be faithful in carrying that message to other people so that they, too, can be glad in Your salvation. So that they, too, will fear You, rejoice in You, be glad in You, be satisfied in You. Lord, uh, again, as we look at these passages tonight, we ask that You uh, open our minds up. I ask that You enable me to speak and deliver this message uh, with clarity and accuracy. And please give us understanding so that our minds are continually changed, so that we line up uh, with Your thinking, with Your will, with Your purpose for Your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I forgot, you know, this morning I should, while Zach and Joshua were here, I should have thanked uh, them uh, openly, but... uh, Really, really appreciate it. I was having a little conversation with the uh, with, with a pastor uh, at Starbucks, and if uh, yeah, I don't know what it is about Starbucks, but <laughs> I found one. You know, of course, I, I did that before we ever left Freeport. I googled Starbucks and made sure there was one close to my mother-in-law's house. Um, you know, so that we wouldn't have to go get a hotel to be close to a Starbucks. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. But but I just made sure there was one close to her house and. Um, Met two pastors in there while I was there, and and got to talk with them and share a little bit, a um, little bit of fellowship. That was that was good. But one of them, I don't think he believed me because uh, you know I, he he was talking about. Uh, and this may sound funny. It used to sound funny to me too, but uh, I think I understand it now. But he was talking about how he um, guards the pulpit, and I said, uh, so do I, and and I meant that. Sincerely, like I said, he didn't know me from Adam, so he don't know but if I was serious about that or not. But I'm serious about that. And uh, so when I ask, you know, somebody, uh, in this case, of course, you know, Brother Carl, Zach, Joshua, Danny Taylor, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's something I take very, very seriously. Uh, so, um, like I said, that may sound odd, but, you know, guarding is, is a part of, uh, of a uh, shepherd, or in this case, an under shepherd's responsibility, and uh, you know, I used to kind of laugh at guys for talking about. I got a little friend up here. I used to kind of laugh at guys for talking about guarding the pulpit, but you know, the, the deal is, I mean, the idea is is not the, the the pulpit, at least not with me. It's not that this thing here is sacred, but it, it's what I mean by that is the teaching coming out of it. And so, uh, Brother Ron, appreciate Brother Ron. Taking over in the class back there, and I know that was good. And uh, 
and and Joshua too the week that he did it. So I, I really it's it's just a blessing, you know, to uh, uh, yeah, to know know that there's folks you can you can trust uh, for one thing, and uh, and know that you know because uh, he this guy was telling me, and and I think he was he, you know he seemed to be sincere and all that, but he was just telling me you know he said there have been times that uh, I've had guys preach and then I have uh, clean up a mess and. And like I say, he wasn't sounding all ugly about it. I think he was being sincere, but but um, not just talking. But uh, you know, and, and and I'm thankful, you know, that uh, that's not the case here. Praise God for that. I appreciate all of them. I wish I'd have said thank you this morning. All right, I'm going to email Danny, but I hadn't I hadn't finished listening to his yet, so. <laughs> So I thought I'd listen to it first, so I, so he'll know I took the time to listen to it, you know. Plus, just to make sure, I want to thank him, right? <laughs> okay, back in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. No questions on this this morning, or really anything we've talked about up to this point. Trying to, uh, uh, as the Lord leads, I'm, I'm you know I'm trying to tie tie it all together. It really is when you when you look at. Uh, you know, we often say this about the Bible that it's one book, and it is. And I don't, I don't think we um, grasp that enough. It's it's one story being told. And the same way in the Gospels, sometimes it's there's sort of jumping from here to here to here, you know, different accounts, and, you, and we and it's easy uh, to lose track uh, sometimes that there's a flow. And so one of the challenges in preaching is is pointing that out, and, and of course, you know. Praying and asking the Lord, show it, and then and then pointing that out. Uh, John Piper, for example, did an excellent job at the at the uh, pastors' conference. He preached on um, four words: uh, "Hallowed be Your Name," the the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. And uh, their whole theme was, I'm going to have to give you the, I mean, this, I'm just, I'm not, you can, you can find the sermons online if you want to hear it, because I'm not going to give you his message, but I'm just trying to illustrate how things tie together. Um, their theme for the conference, of course, had to do with missions, you know, reaching the world. And so uh, he preached the first imperative of the, uh, or petition of the, of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. And he, he, what he did was show how that, how that is foundational for the rest of that prayer. Um, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. But it all starts with hallowing God's name. So sometimes we just we think you know things are just kind of random, and that's not the case. Not the case. They're they're linked. And so what I've tried to do here as we walk through Matthew is is uh, is Keep it, keep the, uh, the the flow in focus, and of course you, you you notice you know you pick up on certain words and themes, themes like the kingdom of God, uh, for example, uh, that that flow throughout. So watch for those things, and I try to point them out too as we go. All right, so again we're in the middle of uh, Jesus uh, instructing his disciples as he sends them out. Back in verse one, it says he called the twelve to him. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. To cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So 
Um, in one place, he sends out the twelve. That's recorded here. In another place, he sends out seventy, the seventy or the seventy-two, um, and uh, um, sends them out with virtually the same mission. And then eventually, uh, after his death and resurrection, you get over to, uh, for example, Acts chapter one, and he's and he's really, I think, sending us all there, or like we talked about Wednesday night, Matthew twenty-eight. He's, he's telling his disciples that are there present, go and go and preach the gospel to all the world. But I, I would I would say that that commission that we call the Great Commission is applicable to every believer, and that's why we're trying to uh, look at this and draw lessons from what he's doing here, because eventually it applies to all of us. Now I think that's even evident in the text, because again he starts out in verse five by telling them. Uh, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go. To, you, you only go to Israel. Don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. Only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In verse six. But then he gets further along in his instructions, and he says in verse seventeen, "Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake." As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles, to the nations. That word we talked about in. Sunday school this morning, ethnos. You'll be a, a testimony to the nations. And so he, he, here he is instructing the twelve as he sends them out to Israel, but he, he begins to look into the future, so to speak, and uh, even gives them instruction for that time. He's not, not limiting all of his instruction here to, that, to, to this one event. And so I think it's applicable for us as well. And by the way, you see these things. Uh, look at verse 17 again. They'll deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. Uh, you'll be brought before governors and kings. You see all these things begin to play out. Where? In what book? Book of Acts. You see all these things begin to play out in the book of Acts with, with, the, uh, with the twelve, um, the eleven, and then Matthias is chosen to replace Judas and so, so now you have the twelve, and I, I wish I had uh, had this before me because I don't have it committed to memory. But, but according to church tradition, um, we know where they went ultimately. Like Thomas, for example, evangelized India, what we know today as India, um, and so they did. They they went. Jesus said, "Go into all." The world, and they did. They went into all the world. Now we we have we know what Paul did, and we know what Peter did. Um, and again, according to church tradition, Peter wound up in Rome, and uh, teaching and in, and in, uh, in, you know pastoring in Rome. But uh, the others went you know different directions, evangelizing the world. So we begin to see this play out in the Book of Acts, but it's still going on. It's it's not over. Again, like we were talking about in Sunday school. We're still taking the gospel to the world. It's begun. Jesus said, take the gospel to the nations. We already see that happen before we get to the end of the book. It's being taken to the nations, but it's not completed by the time you get to the end of this book. Well, by the time you get to the end of 100 A.D., okay? Um, Actually, when you get over to Revelation, it's completed. But, but that's looking into the future. Because right now, 2011, it's not completed. It's not completed. The task is ongoing. So there are principles for us, and that's what we're trying to, trying to glean 
um, principle, principles for us as we encounter the world or confront the world with the good news. So I pointed some things out this morning. One, prepare for danger. Uh, Jesus makes it clear, and I'll just recap these first couple real quick, and then we'll pick up where we left off. But Jesus makes it clear this is a dangerous road. Now, I was thinking about this, um, you know, especially having just traveled to Phoenix and back and thinking, when you plan a vacation, when you plan a vacation, do you look for the most difficult route? You know, I mean ones that's going to take you through uh, where there are bandits. And now, now I've, I'll say this: we we got we saw Mexico. That's how close we were. We we saw Mexico. So I'm thinking, if you broke down on the side of the road, it might not be good. Uh, a few years ago, when we were uh, traveling that same little stretch there, we saw two guys um, run across from this side, and we're out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, uh, literally desert. Two guys. Come ran right in front of me. I mean, not close enough to. I didn't have to hit my brakes or anything. But they ran right in front of me across I-10 and right out through the desert. And I mean, there's nothing out there. I'm thinking, you know, I hope hope they make it. Uh, hope they make it. I mean, they're obviously not supposed to be here, but nevertheless, hate for them to get out there and die. But uh, uh, we saw that, uh, and you know, you have to go through the checkpoints. But when you plan a vacation. At least what I do, I look for the best roads. <laughs> I look, I'll, good, huh? Look for Cracker Barrel. Yeah, I, I Googled that too before we left. Yeah, you have to, you know, you got to make pit stops. So you need to know where the pilots and the Cracker Barrels are, okay? Um, but I'm telling you, there's not a lot in West Texas. <laughs> so if you're going that way, I'm going to let you know there's not a lot out there. It's better than it was a few years ago when we went. But uh, that's what you look for. You know why? And this is the point I'm trying to make. Because we like ease. We like comfort. We're not just naturally prone to hardship. You know, well, I'm going to take, I want to take the bumpy roads to Phoenix and back. One time we did when we went down to uh, Dothan, Alabama. We, you know, we were a little adventurous. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at, okay, where Leslie's grandmother lived in Dothan, Alabama. It's like we have Highway 80 here. The main highway coming in there was 84. And I'm thinking, hey, 84 intersects with 71 at Clarence, Louisiana. I know that, which is not all that far south of here. And uh, so we'll just go down to Clarence. And it was an interesting trip, but it was not fast, i tell you that. <laughs> so we went from Clarence, Louisiana to Dothan, Alabama on Highway 84. And... Uh, it was, it was, it, well, it was good, but it was a long, long ride. Uh, normally, though, I look for interstate. And, uh, you know, we do the little trips to Louisville or this Phoenix. I look for interstate. I want ease. And when we go to a hotel, I don't look for the ones in the worst neighborhoods. No, this is the way we think. We, we, we want to be comfortable. We want ease. And we want to be safe. And secure. In fact, we went swimming in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and uh, that's the coldest I've been since, uh, I guess, since I baptized Ruth Ann. Uh, <laughs> it was colder because I'm telling you, I was hurting when I got out of that pool. 
It's amazing that it was 99 degrees, but you know there, though, at nighttime, the temperature drops pretty good, and so the water doesn't heat up, obviously, <laughs> in the daytime. And so while we were swimming, it was 99 degrees, but the water felt like it was 30 degrees. Um, it was cold. I would have preferred, you know, I don't know, whatever the water should be, 80 degrees or whatever. Um, you just naturally prefer comfort. And ease. You don't want to have to make a lot, a lot of adjustments if you can help it. You want, you want minimal inconvenience. Um, twice, actually three times, we traded cars because we were in rent cars. Twice it was because maintenance lights came on in the car, and I called the one eight hundred number and they said we'd like for you to switch cars. So then you got to find a, a, a place and switch cars, which wasn't a big problem except it costs us time. You'd like to minimize convenience or inconveniences. See, so everything Jesus is saying here is opposed to the way we naturally think. He's telling us, prepare for danger. This is not going to be an easy road. Prepare for hardship. Prepare for discomfort. It's not going to be secure in the sense of um, physically. Um, we're secure in the Lord. But that doesn't mean you won't have problems in this world. So, so it's not as secure as we would like in that sense. I remember listening to one of Piper's, John Piper's sermons. You know, he's a, he's a pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he was talking about Getting very frustrated, to be honest. He was talking about getting very frustrated with applicants, you know, like they would have a position, uh, maybe for some kind of associate pastor or something like that, and he'd be interviewing them, and 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 they would ask something like, "Is the neighborhood safe around here?" And he would respond, "No, <laughs> it's not safe. No, and if you're worried about that, you know, you don't need to come here." And he himself uh, lives in the neighborhood where the church building is in inner city Minneapolis for that very reason, because he wants to be in the community where the church is. So we're, we're not promised that kind of security. We're not promised problem-free living. And Jesus is making that clear. Prepare for danger. This is a dangerous road. It's an inconvenient road. It's an uncomfortable road. It's an insecure road, like I say, in that sense, but it's safe, as Jesus points out, even though they can kill your body, which that doesn't sound very safe, does it? But Jesus says, even though they can kill your body, they can't touch your soul. So, in the the ultimate sense, in in the sense that really matters, it's definitely secure and safe. But not necessarily for your physical body. So, all of these things run against the way... We think we want safety and security. We want comfort. We want ease. I want I-20 with plenty of cracker barrels along the way. That's the way I like to travel. Hot coffee, all that kind of good stuff. You want a hotel that's got, um, you know, that understands a good continental breakfast is not uh, a roll. 
and a cup of coffee. I mean, it's, it's eggs and bacon and, you know, biscuits and gravy. And some of them got it right. So, I mean, on a couple of the ones we read. So that was good. We like comfort. We like ease. But Jesus is telling His disciples there's going to be danger if you do this. If you carry the good news of the Gospel to the world in obedience to the Great Commission, you're going to encounter danger. And then He also goes on to tell them, however, to, uh, to, to be fearless. You know, don't fear. Do not fear. And I gave you some reasons for that this morning. It's where we spent most of our time. Uh, don't, don't fear because uh, Jesus told us what to expect. He's, he's telling us ahead of time. Now, again, He's not saying, don't fear because I'm not going to let any of these bad things happen to you. No, He's saying, don't fear because I'm telling you up front to expect these things. So, essentially, kind of what He's saying is, don't be surprised. Don't, don't be caught off guard when... People persecute you when they say you're of the devil, when they uh, oppose you. Don't be surprised. Expect it. And don't fear, secondly, because their power is limited. We're we're being opposed um, by men or, you know, human beings. Yes, they may be demonically influenced. I mean, that's that's how Satan works. Satan is uh, roaming as a, as a roaring lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. But, you know, the way that he comes at us, I mean, out, from outside, other than working on our own weaknesses, the way that he comes at us through outside is through other people messing with us, right? Somebody rocks your boat, shakes the apple cart. Somebody posing you, somebody giving you a hard time or, or whatever, are just resisting in this case. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to give them the gospel and they refuse. Or they, I shouldn't say just resisting. I mean, there were times Paul was, was uh, beaten with rods. He was taken out and stoned and left for dead. They get violent at times. But their power is limited. Because, because that's as far as they can go. So Jesus is saying, don't fear, because I'm telling you these things in advance. You know what to expect. And besides, their power is limited. And thirdly, don't fear because God values us. God values us. Um, he values all of creation. It's, it's creation as a whole, and, and of course you could point to any Specific thing, person, an animal, a tree, whatever. Creation is, is the work of His hands. He, he values all of it. It's His work. He doesn't, he doesn't do something and then despise it. He values all of creation. So much so that even a sparrow, Jesus says, cannot die. I think that's what he means by fall to the ground. A sparrow cannot even fall to the ground apart from your Father's will, Jesus says. And notice, by the way, there, uh, I think these, these kinds of little nuances are significant as well. In verse 29, are not 
two sparrows sow for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. He doesn't say there, and remember, he's talking to his disciples. He doesn't say, a sparrow cannot even fall to the ground apart from God's will. Which would be a correct statement and, and would still make the point that God loves. But he's talking to his disciples and he calls, he, he, he refers to God as your Father. Because the point he's driving home right here is how much your Father values you. And he could say, and again, like I said, it would be correct and nothing wrong with it, but he, he could say, look, not even, not, a sparrow can't even fall to the ground apart from God's will. And you're of more value to God than a sparrow. But he makes it more intimate than that to drive the point home harder. Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. It's your, it's your Father that's in control of all things, that orchestrates all things. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. To your Father. I mean, that's the implication there. Your, your Father cares for His creation so much that He controls, you know, sparrows. But you are of more value to Him than many sparrows. So don't fear. Don't fear. Every, everything that happens, happens um, according to God's providential, loving plan. That is, through, through God's providence, He works things out. And He does it for His own people's good. Romans 8.28. So Jesus is making that point. So then, we are, as this is where we left off this morning, so then we are to proclaim with boldness. Understand, realize, prepare for, understand that there is danger, prepare for it. Don't, don't fear, don't, don't fear man, fear God. And proclaim the gospel with boldness. You're gonna, you're gonna, when you confront the world or engage the world, you're going you're gonna to hit head-on with them. Head-on collision. But go out and do it anyway. And do it with boldness. Why? Well, let's, let's go to verse 26 here for a minute. Um. Verse 26, this is one of those phrases, like I said, sometimes we read over something and it just seems kind of random. And that's the way this seemed to me at first. I was having a little trouble fitting this together. And I, and I you know, just had to look at it some more and look at another passage in Mark, which I'll show you in a minute. But verse 26, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Now, to me, I'm first. I'm, I'm reading that, and I'm thinking that that doesn't fit there. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like that fits there. He he says just prior to that, it's enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant be like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, 
how much more will they call those of his household? So, he, so he's explaining the, the persecution, the opposition. Therefore, do not fear them. Now, now, as I said this morning, we talked about this morning, we, we made sense out of that, I, I think, understanding it rightly by all the things we just said. Don't fear them because you know now to expect it. Don't fear them because Jesus uh, went through it ahead of us. Don't fear it because their power is limited. Don't fear it because God values us. But then he goes on to say, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. And see, that, that word for is kind of like the word therefore. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's saying, look, here, here's a reason. And there's a there's a phrase for this, but it, it uh, escapes me at the moment. A grammatical phrase, but it escapes me. But but you understand though, it's, it's telling, it's giving you a purpose, purpose clause. Maybe that's what it is. Purpose clause. So he says, don't fear for, right? So he's going to give you a reason. Don't fear for. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed. Now you are hidden that will not be known. Now you can just take that truth and you can understand. Um, I'm just, just pull it out of context for a minute. Pull it out of verse 26. There's nothing covered that will not be revealed, hidden that will not be known. Now, that itself doesn't seem difficult to understand. We understand that in the end, all things, nothing's hidden from God, and in the end, He's going to um, shine the light on everything, and and uh, justice is going to finally be done. In fact, one of Spurgeon's comments says this: secret villainy. And secret virtue will alike be set in the full blaze of day. Secret villainy and secret virtue will alike be set in the full blaze of day. And everything, in other words, everything's going to be made manifest in the end. But if I assign that meaning to that phrase, it doesn't seem to fit. I mean, let's put it back in context now. And it doesn't seem to fit the rest of what Jesus is talking about. <clears throat> Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be made known. Another comment of Charles Spurgeon um, is this, quote, God is the great revealer, and you should imitate Him by publishing the truth to men. Now that one, I would say, falls in line with what Jesus is saying here. Let me read it again. God is the great revealer, and you should imitate Him by publishing the truth to men. God is the great revealer, so preach. Preach the gospel. Jesus says, proclaim the gospel. Take Take the good news to the world. God has made Himself known to us, and we're to make it known to others. What God reveals to us is to be made known. There are no secrets. We're not, we're not a secret society. You know, we're not the Masons or the Moose Lodge or... Whatever. We're not a secret society. There's no secrets in the Christian church. What God reveals, we are to proclaim from the rooftops, Jesus says. 
So we should take the understanding that we have concerning God and the things of God, His salvation, take them to the world and proclaim them to the world. The things of God are not to be concealed. Now, I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Therefore, do not fear them. Why? Because I've told you ahead of time what's going to happen. Because their power is limited. And because God values you. So, I'm telling you, don't fear them. This is the idea. Don't fear them. Go and preach the gospel. That's, uh, that's actually from verse 7. That's where he starts out. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that, that's the idea he's got here. Don't fear them. Therefore, don't fear them. The idea is go. Why? For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. And here Jesus gives his own explanation. Whatever I tell you in dark, speak in the light. And whatever or what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. That's what he's talking about in verse 26. I mean, it's true. You know, we say nothing, there's nothing covered that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that will not be known. It's true that in the end, all things are going to be manifest, nothing's hidden from God. But that's not what he's saying here. He's talking about things concerning the kingdom. There's, there's nothing covered as far as the things of God, God's salvation, the kingdom of God, the coming of Christ. The reign of Christ, the glory of Christ, there's nothing covered that will not be revealed. And it was covered. It was hidden. There's, there's nothing hidden that will not be known. He's just saying it's time now for it to be made known. It's been hidden. It's been covered. Paul said about the Jews that every, every Sabbath... They hear the Scriptures read, but they have a veil over their eyes and they can't understand. And the only way that veil comes off is through faith in Christ. Let me, let me give you another... Um, flip over to Ephesians for just a moment. There's several, several passages you could go to uh, that demonstrate this. One, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, look at verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself. Now, that's part of a long sentence, but you look at, look at verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Talking about salvation in Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will. That word mystery, mysterion, that, that's the idea behind that word. It's, it's something that was hidden or concealed that is now made manifest. It's now made known. Paul says, this, this is a mystery. It was a mystery. It was hidden. But God has made it known to us. The same book, Ephesians, look, look over at chapter 3. 
verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the nations the unsearchable riches of Christ. Again, again, notice that. That's what we talk about in Sunday schools, what we're talking about here. Preaching among the nations, right? Paul says, I've been given this, this grace. Um, that I should preach among the nations the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So Paul says, um, this grace was given to me to preach to the nations, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God to the intent that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. So Jesus is saying, Verse 26, here in Matthew 10, there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. He's talking about the message of the Gospel. The things of God. And I think verse 27 proves that, bears that out. It's his own explanation. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops, or the word is herald. Herald on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He's the one, by the way, that commanded us to take the Gospel to the nations. So Jesus is saying, fear Him. Don't fear those who can only kill the body. Fear Him. Make what I tell you known. So, proclaim with boldness. Or again, as Spurgeon said, God is the great revealer and you should imitate Him by publishing the truth to men. So, the mysteries once hidden are now unveiled and the grace of God is to be proclaimed loudly. <laughs> Mark 4, 21-22, and this is the passage I was referring to that helped me understand this passage. It's, it's, it's a different discourse. Jesus is talking about something different, different context, but He uses same terminology here. Mark 4.21, Also, He said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. He's talking about the message of the kingdom there. Same thing he does. Uh, that that's uh, uh, the same thing he's talking about in Matthew five in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine. You don't you don't light a candle to put it under a bed or to put it under a basket. Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you these things so that you can hide them. Store them up for your own enjoyment. 
I'm giving you these things so that you can announce them. I may whisper to you in the dark, but you need to shout it from the rooftops. I may tell it to you here in Jerusalem and Israel, but you need to take it to the nations. None of these things that are hidden are to remain hidden. They are to be made known. Verse 26. So proclaim with boldness. Don't fear them. Expect uh, or prepare for danger. Don't, don't fear and proclaim the gospel with boldness and obedience to the Lord. Take the gospel to the nations. And lastly, I'm really out of time here. I'll try to, I'll try to move faster on this one. Uh, we did mention it this morning. Lastly, um, remember the reward. Look at uh, verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses Me before men, him I will also confess before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, him I will also deny before My Father who is in heaven. So He says, you confess Me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. He's promising Reward for faithfulness. Let me, let me give you some other passages on that written directly to specific churches as motivators for endurance in this life. Listen, <clears throat> we, and I know this sounds strange to us, this, what I'm about to say sounds strange to the American church. It, it, won't, it wouldn't sound so strange if you went to other parts of the world. We are living in the tribulation now. We're living in the tribulation. It, is there going to be a lot? Of, a lot of people preach there's, there's going to be this um, seven-year tribulation at the very end. I don't know. There may be. I, I, I see evidence that that. Uh, in other words, there may, there may be an intensity because Jesus likens it, for example, tribulation, tribulation that we suffer in this world, Jesus likens it to birth pains. Well, we all know, even us men, know how that works, don't we? As time goes by, once, once the uh, labor has started, as time goes by, the birth pains get more frequent, and they get more intense. So it may be that the closer we get to the end, maybe there is going to be a period where it gets really, 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 really intense. And like I say, Jesus' words do seem to me to imply that, although I can't say it for sure. But we are in, and this is what gets missed so often, we are in the tribulation now. I don't know what else, what other meaning you can get from John 16.33. Jesus said, He used that very word, in the world you have tribulation. We're in it now. In the book of Revelation, you see the souls of those who are gathered around the throne, those who have been delivered out of tribulation. They've come out of the world. They're, 
They've entered into eternity. We're in the tribulation. Now, like I said, I know that sounds strange to us, but you tell that to some believers in China or Sudan or Saudi Arabia or in parts of India, and I don't think they'll have a hard time believing it. When Jesus talks about danger here, discomfort, they know from experience what that's about. That word tribulation has meaning to them. Not for some future point, but for now. Okay. Um, So remember the promise of reward. These promises are written to people suffering tribulation. Let me run through these quickly. Revelations 2. The first one is to the church of Ephesus. Maybe, Lord willing, one day we'll get time to go through these letters because they... They're, they're, they're so good and so uh, relevant, um, I'd say, throughout the church age. Some people try to say they represent different parts of the church age. I think they just sum it up all the way through, really. Um, but the first one is to the church of Ephesus. And after commending them and then giving rebukes for certain things, if you look down in uh, verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear. This is Jesus speaking. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him, hear what he says. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And then next, Jesus sends a letter to the church in Smyrna. Let me skip down to the end again, to the exhortation. Um, Verse 10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Does that sound, sound familiar? Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt. By the second death. And then the third letter is to the church at Pergamos. And if you look down to verse 16, after rebuking the church at Pergamos, he says, Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the, word, with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And the next letter is to the church at Thyatira. And if you skip down to verse 20, let's see, 4, verse 25, But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit says to the churches. The next one is to the church of Sardis, chapter 3. Jump down a few verses here. Um, here he's commending Sardis. I think Sardis is the only one that, there, that uh, there's no rebuke here for the church of Sardis. And he says in... Uh, uh, verse 4, you, ha- you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said in Matthew 10, You confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. And then verse 6, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the next letter is to the church of Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania. This is in Asia Minor. Um, Church at Philadelphia. This is the original Philadelphia. And look at, uh, let's see, chapter 3, verse 11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Notice the language. You see that same kind of language over and over. Hold fast or endure to the ends. That same idea. Hold fast what you have uh, till I come. That uh, Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then finally to the church of Laodicea. Most of us are no doubt familiar with that one. This one is really nothing but uh, rebuke uh, and the call to repentance. And then he says in verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Promises of reward to those who endure. In Matthew, Jesus says, those who endure to the end shall be saved. So remember the promises of Reward, um, and the rest, Lord willing, I'll I'll uh, take up next week. All right, it's a call. The, the last part of that is a call to wholehearted, total devotion, total commitment to Christ, and that's that's the only way I think to endure. Well, number one, it's the only way to do what God's called us to do. Only way to accomplish what He's given us to accomplish. And it's the only way to endure the hardship, tribulation that we meet in this road, in, on this road of Christianity, however severe it is. For us, uh, at least in the persecution, I mean, people here suffer, no doubt, in, in this uh, country for different reasons. But as far as the persecution, we've, we've had it very easy, very light. And, uh, and that may change. That may change. All right. And by the way, um, I was just thinking about something I was going to mention Wednesday. I might always save it for this Wednesday. But, but um, notice, 
All seven of those churches. You, you notice how Jesus is calling for repentance. He's calling on them to overcome. All seven of those churches are in what we know today as Turkey. And Jesus warned them, if you don't repent, I'll remove your candlestick. The, the churches are represented in Revelation 2 and 3 by candlesticks. The Lord was holding a, 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 what we call a menorah with seven candlesticks. And each candlestick represented a church. The seven churches of Asia. And the Lord warned them, Repent, or I'll come and I'll remove your candlestick. All seven of those churches, that's a Muslim country today. There are Christians in Turkey. I, I don't know about Pergamon, Sardis, and Thyatira. And I don't know if there's any. There, there are some Christians over there. Maybe, maybe, maybe it hasn't been removed. But I'm just something to think about. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word, for the exhortations from it, for the promises, promises of eternal life and reward in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank You for the commission, for the privilege, the privilege, Lord, to be able to go carry Your Word to the nations. And yet, because of our own sinfulness, our own tendency to rebellion, Lord, it's, it's uh, what is a privilege becomes a burden and a difficulty to us. So we pray for Your wisdom. We pray that You enable us. We pray that You grant zeal. Make us faithful for our good and for Your honor and glory. And as we saw in Psalm 67, for the joy of the nations. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.